You're listening to the Out Loud Bible Project podcast with Mike Dominey. Out Loud Bible Project is on a mission to read the entire Bible out loud in a conversational and approachable way, so you can recognize your part in this conversation between you and God. Hey, Mike here. This is the Out Loud Bible Project Podcast. We're reading the Bible like you'd have a conversation so that we can find our next best yes. This next best response of yes, God, in our relationship with him. In the past couple episodes, reading through the book of Leviticus, it has been a lot more conversational even than normal, perhaps, where we've not been reading the exact words, word for word, all the way through the book of Leviticus, uh, but rather getting an overarching understanding of the chapters and what they mean and some of the details in there, but not word for word, so that we can grab what we need to be able to apply it, be actually able to understand more about God's heart and about our own hearts and what to do about that through what the Bible says, because all of scripture, it says of itself, is useful for teaching and correcting, rebuking, helping us learn, helping us to learn more about God and grow closer to him. So yes, even in these books here at the beginning of the Bible that are very difficult to read, we can learn a lot from and we can we can grow through. So we finished Leviticus and now we get to start the book of Numbers and we're going to handle it in a very similar way. It's the book of Numbers. It even sounds dull, doesn't it? It doesn't sound like a good time. Now there are some stories in the book of Numbers and when we come to those, we're going to zoom in We're going to read those stories as they're written and discuss them like normal, have a takeaway at the end of each episode like we do. Uh, But for those chapters that are just, well, numbers and names, like is a lot of this book, we'll, I'll just do the flyover and, uh, and pull out some things to to think about, some things to, to chew on that we can genuinely get from these chapters. And if you want to go back and read them for yourself, you're certainly able to as well. You're certainly welcome to. I encourage you, dig into the Bible and and see what God has for you in wherever you open up. So in the book of Numbers here, this is an it's kind of a continuation of where we left off in Leviticus. Leviticus, we said, was the guidebook, kind of like the handbook for the Levites, the priests, and, and how they would go about their business serving in the tabernacle, which is the portable temple of Israel and where God would make his dwelling in and among their people as they went through the wilderness. Numbers is more of like a register, kind of like a a spreadsheet (laughs) almost of the people of Israel as a whole, not just the Levites, but kind of all of Israel. It even starts with a census of the troops. And so there's a lot of numbers. There's a lot of just order. There's a lot of keeping track of people and what they do and how many there are. Is it super useful to us? Perhaps not, except we can learn more about God, more about his expectations of his people then, and maybe what can be expected of us nowadays. We'll dig into that as we kind of go through this uh, flyover conversation of the book of Numbers. So Numbers chapter one, like I mentioned, is a registering of all of the troops of the nation of Israel here. And in case you're curious, the number was 603,550. That just gives you an idea of how many people, again, that's just those who were able to fight 
that is, the men of Israel who were 20 years old or older and able to go to war, was just about 600,000. So if you think about their families, the kids who were younger than 20 or were too old to be able to go to war, all of the women and children, add all those up together, we're talking millions of people that are wandering through the wilderness here. Uh, quite the logistical undertaking to be able to get them all in the same place and headed in the same direction, right? So that's what we're talking about here in terms of numbers here in the book of Numbers. That's a good number to keep in mind. Chapter 2, God details the organization for Israel's camp. They would all be situated at various places around the tabernacle. The tabernacle was in the middle of the camp, and each tribe, of which there were 12, were situated around the camp. Every time they set up camp to stay in a place for a little while, they would be setting up in the same way every time in the same location, and that would just keep order around the camp. Chapter 3 it registers the Levites who were available for service. We talked about them in Leviticus, what they would be doing. Here, we just count the numbers of them that are available to serve in that way. And chapter 4 gives some responsibilities of the different clans of Levites. There are three different types of subdivisions among the Levites. The Kohathites were the ones in charge of handling the most sacred objects of the tabernacle. They were the ones doing the very strict, holy responsibilities of handling the sacred objects in, the, in and around the temple. The Gershonites were kind of like the generalists. They carried loads, they helped set up, they helped tear down, they handled some items here and there. And then the third type are the Merorites. And they were like the moving company. They carried the loads of all of the tabernacle things. They would carry them on poles and they would just carry all of these things uh, to the next location, wherever that was. And chapter four details all of those things. But it's kind of interesting to see of the Levites, there were three clans and God even gave them different roles and responsibilities of how to serve in their capacities. Chapter five, God Give some more details that sounds really similar to something we might have read in Leviticus, where uh, God is protecting the purity in the camp. He talks briefly about purity in dealing with skin diseases, in interpersonal disputes, and then he spends a, quite a bit of time talking about purity in marriage and how to protect marriage in this way. And, and this shows these three things, skin diseases, inter, interpersonal disputes, marriage, they show us that God cares about our whole selves, our physical, our social, and our relational selves, everything. God cares about purity and all of these things. And if it's important to him, it should be important to us. In chapter 6, God lays out what the Nazarite lifestyle looks like. Three things. We're actually kind of talking about chapters here in groups of three. But in, uh, in chapter 6 here, the three elements of what it means to be a Nazarite is no wine. You can't drink wine. You can't have grape products. Two, no touching dead things. And three, no cutting your hair. Now, if you've read other parts of the Bible, perhaps this sounds familiar to you. The most famous Nazarite is probably Samson, who was ordained by God at birth that uh, he would be a Nazarite. He'd have to live like this for the rest of his life. Also, this was Samuel. Samuel was a prophet, and God had him live this way for his entire life. Uh, some could have been ordained like this to have the Nazarite lifestyle for their entire life. It could also be a temporary vow that someone could take. Paul did this 
we see. Um, and so others could take this vow as a dedication to the Lord. That could be temporary. Uh, but the details of that are laid out in chapter 6. Chapter 7, we see one leader from each tribe of Israel coming to present offerings to the Lord. And they're bringing a whole bunch of items. And it's one leader a day representing one tribe. And it really plays out like the 12 days of Christmas carol. You know that carol where just my true love gave to me all of these things. And it's just like, oh my goodness, so much stuff. A lot of birds. (laughs) And it really does play out. You can read chapter 7 for yourself, but it really does play out like this 12 days of Christmas. Like on the 12th day of offerings, a hero of Naphtali brought to God six male rams, one silver platter, one silver basin, both filled with flour, a gold container of incense, three male bulls, six male goats, and six one-year-old male lambs. It's Read it for yourself. Uh, It's quite the collection of gifts. Chapter eight, (laughs) then moving on quickly from that, is dedicating the Levites to service. And chapter nine is the one year anniversary of leaving Egypt. They're mentioning the second Passover that they get to celebrate. The first one, of course, was leaving their slavery in Egypt in a hurry as the 10th plague was coming down hot and heavy on the people of Egypt. So uh, this is a one-year anniversary here where we're at in chapter 9. We also see this description of this fiery cloud that we learned about earlier in the book of Exodus that God uses to lead his people through the wilderness at night. And we get to zoom in a little bit and see how Moses describes this. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation here in chapter 9, verse 15. On the day the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered it. But from evening until morning, the cloud over the tabernacle looked like a pillar of fire. This was the regular pattern. At night, the cloud that covered the tabernacle had the appearance of fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from over the sacred tent, the people of Israel would break camp and follow it. And wherever the cloud settled, the people of Israel would set up camp. In this way, they traveled and camped at the Lord's command wherever he told them to go. Then they remained in their camp as long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle. If the cloud remained over the tabernacle for a long time, the Israelites stayed and performed their duty to the Lord. Sometimes the cloud would stay over the tabernacle for only a few days, so the people would stay for only a few days, as the Lord commanded. Then, at the Lord's command, they would break camp and move on. Sometimes the cloud stayed only overnight and lifted the next morning. But day or night, when the cloud lifted, the people broke camp and moved on. Whether the clouds stayed above the tabernacle for two days, a month, or a year, the people of Israel stayed in camp and did not move on. But as soon as it lifted, they broke camp and moved on. So they camped or traveled at the Lord's command, and they did whatever the Lord told them through Moses. That's good. Do we have that sort of lifestyle? Do we have that sort of reaction when God moves? We'll keep talking about that here in a minute. But in chapter 10, We have a description of silver trumpets, which, as we talked about in Exodus, the craftsmen, remember the the skilled craftsmen creating all of these uh, amazing pieces of furniture and elements of the tabernacle, they were also charged to make silver trumpets. And so what we see here is a description of how to use them. They're signaling when God says to move and uh, to trust in God's promises and victories. In verse 9, it says, when you arrive in your own land. And go to war against your enemies who attack you. Sound the alarm with the trumpets. Then the Lord your God will remember you and rescue you from your enemies. 
Blow the trumpets in time of gladness, too, sounding them at your annual festivals and at the beginning of each month. And blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and peace offerings. The trumpets will remind your God of his covenant with you. I am the Lord your God. Can we consider these trumpets like our prayers? Do you only pray when enemies are around you and you're stuck and you have nothing else to do but go to him? Hey, of course, by all means, go to God in those situations. Pray to him. But like it says in verse 10, blow the trumpets in times of gladness too. Do we pray to God in times of gladness too? Or just when we feel like we need him? Let's not forget to praise him and pray to him when we're doing fine. <laughs> when we're happy, when, we're, when we feel blessed, when we are celebrating. Let's not forget to honor him loudly and, and personally in those times as well. So then, at this point, the cloud over Mount Sinai lifted, and God led them forward into the remaining wilderness toward the promised land. It was time to go. And this chapter lists the order of the tribes and how they proceeded in that order. But we can zoom in and we can see one story worth mentioning here in chapter 10. One day, Moses said to his brother-in-law, Hobab, son of Rule, the Midianite, We're on our way to the place the Lord has promised us, for he said, I'll give it to you. Come with us and we'll treat you well, for the Lord has promised wonderful blessings for Israel. But Hobab replied, Nah, I won't go. I must return to my own land and family. See, God doesn't show himself as a pillar of fire or a giant cloud for us to follow nowadays, but he does move and he does lead and it's up to us to follow him when he moves. God's invitation is like Moses' invitation to his brother-in-law. Come, God's already promised a victory ahead. God says, I'll, I'll treat you well. There are blessings ahead. So will you move when God moves, or would you rather stay back with what's familiar? That's the Thinking Out Loud thought for today. You've been listening to the Out Loud Bible Project podcast with Mike Dominey. When you become a patron of Outloud Bible Project, you help make the Bible accessible for people who desperately need to know they have a role in this conversation with God. To learn more, visit outloudbible.com and click support this project. Thanks for listening.